And today we're going to be talking about how we are free and full in Christ. Now, uh, I don't I don't know if uh, if you've noticed or not, but it's pollen season. Um, I've heard I've heard some uh, some coughing and some sneezing in the audience today, and I'm with you. And uh, I, I can't guarantee that I won't have to stop and, and cough for a minute uh, through the message. Now I could have fixed that. I had some really good cough syrup at home, but it has codeine in it, and I'm not sure you know where the message would go if if uh, if I would have prepared that way. So um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fight through it and. Um, if you'll turn with me to, to Colossians chapter 2. Now last week we talked about being rooted and strengthened and overflowing from verses 6 and 7. And um, that was basically an application for us to live a vibrant life in Christ. A way for us to take on a posture of how we're to receive Christ's work in our life and how we're to express it. Now this week is more of a realization of, of that vibrant life in Christ. Of the implications of what it means to walk with Him. And so as Paul is writing to the, the church at Colossae, um, some, some relatively new believers with mixed Jew and mixed Gentile uh, in the congregation, He's talking to them about, um, and, and, and he ties some Old Testament themes in there that we're going to talk about today. But, but he talks about um, how we are to, to come into a realization of what Christ is doing in us. And it's that we are to be free from the world and to live a full and abundant life in Him. So we're going we're gonna to read from verse 8 through 12. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, if we look at verse 8 here, this, this word for, for captive, see to it that no one takes you captive. I don't know if anyone here has, has been in a, in a hostage situation. Uh, I know that my, my friend Taylor, uh, when, when he was in the womb, his mother was, was, uh, was kidnapped. Uh, I guess you would call it that mother-napped. I don't know. Um, but uh, he, he's, he's told me, and she's told me this story before about how she's literally been taken captive by someone. Um, and it's a great story. We don't really have time to tell it all. Uh, but ultimately, she was like mouthing somebody, help, and, at a gas station. And they saw her in the back seat of this car and, uh, and were able to call the police. And, and she was rescued, and thankfully Taylor's here with us today. Um, but I don't know if you it can really uh, can can identify with being in an actual hostage situation or being captive. Um, but this word in the Greek actually translates to mean instead of what we would think as being in bondage or in change, it means uh, to be taken as a loot, um, almost a, like a spoil, like a like pirated away from. And uh, to to understand the the context of what this is talking about, um, we're gonna we're gonna gonna dive into an illustration uh, by none other than than C.S. Lewis, but. Uh, there, there's this this boy in the book, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and uh, his name is Eustace Scrub, and he has a very very unfortunate name. 
he has an even more unfortunate life, and he's just um, he's a nuisance for for Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy to deal with. If you're familiar with the the Chronicles of Narnia characters, and uh, Eustace is just a pain, and. So much so that, that that he gets lost from the group when they're when they're traveling around, and uh, you know not that everybody was glad that he was gone, but I don't know if anyone noticed he was missing. But anyways, he comes across. Um, he, he first observes a dragon for the first time ever and, and sees it, and he try, he's trying to run from it, and he ends up, of course, going into the dragon's lair to escape. He goes into the cave. And there's gold everywhere. If, you, if you're familiar with, um, with you know, Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, uh, the mythical characters, dragons, are, are, are supposedly gold hoarders. And so um, he, he goes into this pile of gold and he's like, oh my gosh, what can I do with all this stuff? Think about all the ways that I can become wealthy. And, and uh, he starts scheming, of course, when he comes across this spoil, forgetting that the dragon is there too. But he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, He's a dragon. The gold has held him captive. The loot, the spoil has held him captive. He had put a, uh, a, a golden bracelet around his hand when he was a boy, but then when he turned into a dragon, it was constricting his arm and it was, it was hurting him. He said, oh, like, how, do I, how do I get out of this? How do I stop being a boy? And so we're going to pick up with the story of Eustace later. But in the same way the scripture is talking about, there is an enemy. There is a material world that is seeking to take us captive. And none of us have escaped it. We are all Eustace. We can all identify with that moment when we come to a realization of our sin. And, and maybe you actually looked in the mirror. Maybe you saw your reflection somewhere and you thought, What have I become? What's happened to me? That moment of innocence was lost and you're like, how did I get here? Because sin will take you longer than you want to be there and it will take more from you than you bargained for. It consumes who you are. You're taken captive. So as Paul is saying, see to it that no one takes you captive. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. When we break apart these, these, these words that, that, that Paul is saying, he talks about a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Um, hollow meaning emptiness and lacking substance. I think this is ultimately, hollowness is, is the, the emotional um, captivity is what Paul is talking about. The, the place where our own thinking, our own doing, our own works are going to bring us to this place of emotional emptiness. So nothing else outside of Christ is ever going to satisfy us, is what he's saying. It's hollow. There's nothing to it. It's not weighty. Actually, the word for holy in, in the Hebrew, uh, it, it, kadosh, it, it means to be weighty and to be heavy, and it's described with God. And the opposite of that is hollow, has no substance. The next he talks about deceptive. Uh, and I would equate this to, to, to spiritual captivity because we are deceived by an enemy. We're deceived as to the nature of this world. 
And, and, and he uses this word philosophy. I think he's referring to uh, intellectual captivity. We're confined to the limited knowledge of what we can just observe about the natural world. We, we, we live in, in, in kind of a, an interesting time in the, in the postmodern context. It's, you know, science can prove it. We can, we can make our way around with reason to, to, um, to wrap our minds around it. Anything is explainable, right? It just flies so much in the face of faith and how we are to receive Christ. And ultimately, it leads us to a place where we don't want to submit to someone who is stronger and wiser and more beautiful and brilliant than we could ever imagine. And so Paul is, is, is commanding the church at Colossae because there's a lot of ideas out there, right? There's a lot of teachings going around. And he's saying, don't be taken captive by these things. Don't be sucked into them. They look so appealing. But just like the, the pile of gold that's there, it's going to take you and entrap you more than you want to be there. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to attack and, and consume your identity. So don't go there. So then he contrasts it to the nature of Christ. He says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If you were here when we were going through Colossians chapter 1, uh, it talks how, it talks, uh, it almost repeats the same phrase in, in how uh, all of the, the Godhead, all of who God is, is wrapped up in the person of Christ. And I used the illustration about Waffle House. And we talked about Waffle House hash browns. Now you can order them smothered, covered, and capped. Which is the way I like them. But you can also get them fully involved. Which is gravy and chili and every, pretty much everything they have in the kitchen at Waffle House. Which you probably don't want to know what it is. Is fully involved in your plate of hash browns. So you pretty much just got toppings and then hash browns somewhere mixed in there. But in the same way, God the Father, God the, the Holy Spirit, God the Son are all fully involved in bodily form. So all the fullness of who God is is wrapped up in the person of Christ. Doesn't sound hollow to me. Doesn't sound deceptive to me. I think if we spend our lifetime trying to explore the depths of how great and vast and amazing Jesus is, we would just be scratching the surface. And thank God we get eternity to cherish and worship Him. I want to read from you from uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Verses 18 through 25. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness uh, of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So here in, in, in Corinthians as well as, as in Colossians, Paul is, is urging the church to not be led astray. Do not be taken captive. Because we have the source of truth. Not in a, in a clean form of answers. Not in a neat catechism of how to explain who God is. But in a person. Who walks with us. Who abides. Who we can trust. Who we can call out to. Who we can know. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Did you all hear that? And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The guy who's in charge of it all, you know him. He's brought you to fullness, is what it says. And you're just along for the ride, by the way. <laughs> There's nothing that you did to, to get there. There's nothing there uh, that, that, that you saw and found your way to God. It says that, that Christ has brought you that you reached a place where you said, I am emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually deprived. I'm totally bankrupt. And then the fullness of God, who resides in bodily form, said, You're mine. Come on, let's go. That's what it means to be free and full in Christ. That we're walking with the one who laid the foundations of this world. That we're walking with the one who loved us enough to go to a cross for us. Now before we get into verses 11 and 12, um, there's some rich imagery here. And this is what I love about expository preaching. This is why I love it um, that, that Tim's been leading us to go through uh, books and, and, and take passages at a time. And, and we, we don't skip over verses. Right? <laughs> because... When we, when we preach through the Bible that way, it doesn't allow us to skip over the hard text. And this is one of them. And maybe depending on where you're at and in terms of how we interpret this, um, you know, there, there might be some different conclusions taken away. Uh, maybe depending on where you're at denominationally or whatever. Um, obviously, we're going to come from a Baptist perspective today. Um, but... Uh, in, in terms of, uh, of of linking the covenant of the Old Testament into uh, the baptism that Christ has um, has called us into, um, this is not an easy text to, to go through. It's it's pretty it's chock full and it's loaded. So in order to explain a really uh, deep theological intricate text, I want to direct you to C.S. Lewis in Voyage of the Dawn Treader in a children's book. <laughs> Like I said, the, the, the wisdom of, of God frustrates the intelligence of man, right? Just like the, the wisdom and knowledge of a child is um, some, sometimes so much more profound than what we can come up with as adults. Um, 
But I'm going to read a couple pages, so bear with me. Uh, one of our students a couple weeks ago in, in our uh, high school die group, uh, she, she read uh, from, this, from this passage out of the book, and I felt just like a child sitting there. And um, admittedly, I almost kind of teared up. It's such a powerful passage. And, uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't typically take this much time out of a sermon uh, to, and give this much attention to um, uh, something that's outside of Scripture. But I think that it, it, it communicates something so profound. And so I just invite you, you know, just pretend like you're in kindergarten again and enjoy, enjoy the, 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 the work here of C.S. Lewis. So this is used to speaking. He says, I won't tell you how I became a, a dragon until I can tell the others and get it all over, said Eustace. He's speaking to Edmund here. He says, by the way, I didn't even know there was a dragon until you, you all started using the word when I turned up here the other morning. I want to tell you how I stopped being one. Fire ahead, said Edmund. Well, last night I was more miserable than ever, and that beastly armoring was hurting like anything. Is it all right now? Eustace laughed, a different laugh from any Edmund had heard him give before, and slipped the bracelet easily off his arm. There it is, he said, and anyone who likes it can have it as far as I'm concerned. Well, as I say, I was laying awake and wondering what on earth would become of me. And then, but mind you, it may have been a dream, I don't know. Go on, said Edmund with considerable patience. Well, anyway, I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected. A huge lying, coming slowly towards me. And one weird thing was that there was no moonlight, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I'm terribly afraid of it. You may think that being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough. But it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Well, it came up close to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. You mean it spoke? I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't think it did. But it told me all the same. And I knew that I'd have to do what it told me, so I got up and followed it. And it led me a long way into the mountains. And there was always this moonlight over and around the line wherever he went. So at last we came to the top of the mountain I'd never seen before. And on the top of this mountain, there was a garden. Trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it, there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it. But it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought, if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said these words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I, had, I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and scales began falling off all over the place. And when I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully. Like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. 
It only means that I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'd have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, Oh dear, how many ever skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, But I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it could have gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like Billy-O, but it's such a fun, it's such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, laying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy compared with Caspian's. But I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you with his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other in new clothes. The same I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back there. Which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes for one thing, and you have been, well, undragoned for another. What do you think it was then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Aslan, said Eustace. I've heard that name mentioned several other times since we've joined the Dawn Treader, and I felt, I don't know, like I hated it. I'd like to apologize. I'm afraid I've been rather beastly. That's all right, said Edmund. Between ourselves, you haven't been as bad as I was on my first trip to Narnia. You were only a pain, but I was a traitor. Well, don't tell me about it then, said Eustace. But who is Aslan? Do you know him? Well, he knows me, says Edmund. He's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea who saved me and saved Narnia. We've all seen him. Lucy sees him most often, and it may be Aslan's country that we're sailing to. Neither said anything for a while, and the last bright star had vanished, and though they had not seen the sunrise because of the mountains on their right, they knew that it was going on because the sky above them and the bay before them turned the color of roses. Then some bird of a parrot screamed in the woods behind them, and they heard movements among the trees, and finally a blast of Caspian's horn. The camp was astir. 
Great was the rejoicing when Edmund and the restored Eustace walked into the breakfast circle around the campfire. And now, of course, everyone heard the earlier part of his story. The jewels with which Eustace had crammed his pockets in the cave had disappeared along with the clothes he had been wearing. But no one, least of all Eustace himself, felt any desire to go back to that valley for more treasure. So, I know just just hearing it and and maybe not just reading it, it would be hard to follow some of the themes in there. But but basically, we saw in the story, Eustace was, he was de-dragoned. And of course, Aslan represented Christ in the story, the lion. And he was baptized in the water. See, when, when, when we come into full, into full understanding of who Christ is, we submit to a saving relationship with Him. We're de-dragoned. <laughs> our, our layers are peeled back. And like you said, it's painful. It's painful to let go of the things of this world. It's painful to let go of the, um, our sin. But man, it loses the appeal when we see the, the, the glory of what we have waiting for us in Christ. We see the glory of the abundant life that we can be living now. And we've been immersed in the newness of life. I want to share with you also a couple quotes from a guy. His name was Dog Hammerschold. He's a, he's a Swedish um, statesman. And he was uh, probably regarded as the greatest... Uh, Secretary of the uh, um, Secretary General, excuse me, of the United Nations, and he served during the Cold War. And a lot of um, you know, the reason uh, that that war didn't break out during that time was was attributed to him. And um, obviously, he made a few enemies in that. And he was what uh, President Truman believes he was assassinated in 1961. It was ruled as an accident when his plane crashed, um, but believed that that he was taken out uh, by some people whose business uh, business interests he was interfering with by trying to make peace in, in Africa. Um, but he was a, a devout Lutheran and uh, just a, an amazing Christian thinker. And just want to share with you a, a few of his quotes. But this was taken out of uh, his journal that he wrote when he was in his 20s. He says, Tomorrow we shall meet, death and I, and he shall thrust his sword into one who is wide awake. Ultimately, what he's saying there is, is we have freedom from death. We have freedom in Christ. And then uh, another, another quote of his I love. He says, To fail to become what I may have become is what it means to be lost eternally. To fail to become what I may have become is what it means to be lost eternally. See, to be found in this life means... That we get, like Eusis, to be the boy that we were intended to be. Maybe today, you know, you came in and, and uh, your life is hectic right now. Maybe, um, maybe you're wrestling and, 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 and fighting through some battle with sin. It's like, I don't, I don't feel like myself. I feel like I've bought in. I feel like I'm captive to something that this world is holding me from being who God wants me to be. And today, I want you to know that you can be free and full in Christ. 
for those of you who've been walking with him for some time now, maybe you haven't maybe you haven't fully stepped into the pool, right? Not that not not referring to a physical baptism. We believe that's just a symbol of the regeneration that's taking place. But today is your invitation to jump in or to be thrown in the water <laughs> like Eustace was. So that you can find that in Christ there's freedom from anything in this world and there's a complete fullness in life to where we can be satisfied. That we can have enduring joy no matter what the circumstances are. And so today I invite you into that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the ways that that you communicate truth to us. Whether that's um, through our life experiences. Whether that's through um, stories that we read. Ultimately, God, your truth, your word is illuminating what it means to be free. God, we've been held captive by an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But God, you have given us a full and abundant life. So I pray for all of us today as we reflect on this. That we would begin to see us, to begin to see ourselves as you define us to be. That we would also begin to see our world as you define it. Because God, you are the beginning, you are the source, and you are the end of all knowledge, of all joy. And Father, you hold the key to everything. We love you, Jesus. Amen.